The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. On the line now, we have the Animal Justice Party MP for Western Victoria, Andy Medic. Good morning. Thanks for being on the program. Good morning, Mitch. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. I'm happy to be here at the last uh, catch-up with you for the year because a lot's happened this year. It's a good opportunity to reflect and also to sort of look forward to having a bit of a break and I'd imagine you maybe feel the same way. Uh, very much so. I mean, I've, I've got uh, I've got a lot of appointments over the Christmas break. I'm hoping to squeeze a couple of days in though when I can... Uh visit some relatives with my my wife which would be lovely now we have to ask how is your daughter i mean i don't like usually bringing in families into politics i think there's always lots to talk about on just the issues but given it has attracted a lot of coverage over the last month how's your daughter going uh not not in a great place i must say mitch um getting better but but not in a great place Sorry to hear that. Um, in terms of the pandemic legislation, it was uh, obviously incredible to watch these sort of marathon debates that you have in the upper house, the long period of sitting in the chamber. What was that like? Talk me through that. Uh, look, it was very tiring. Um, and, and I have seen um, a number of reports suggesting that it shouldn't have been able to go on like that. And, and there's some very good arguments for that in that, um, you know, the longer that you stay awake, um, the more like actually being under the effects of alcohol, you know, things become and, and your ability to make rational decisions is therefore affected. But given um, in this circumstance that just about everyone's voting intention was already on the record, um, it, it didn't alter what was going to be the final result. Like No one was going to change their voting position at the end of the debate. This was really going through the committee stage, questions being answered on each clause, and it, all the questions and answers did not in any way affect the result of the vote. And in terms of the actual legislation itself, I believe it's changed since the first initial proposal was put forward by the government. What do you think of that? Do you agree with the changes, the amendments that were made? Oh, look, absolutely. Look, you know, we were first consulted, as everybody knows, uh, in March, the first meetings that we started to have with the government because myself, Dr Ratnam and, and Ms Patton actually approached the government. We put our hands up and approached them and said, look, if this is what's going to be coming forward, um, then we would like to have an input. And, and at the time, and that was open to anybody and everybody, but no one did it except for us. Um, and it, it was put forward by them. They asked us to go away, have a think about what we wanted to see in that legislation and bring that forward to when we could meet next. And they would start to draft their own version of that. And then we could have input to that and, and, and make our case to have those things included. And that was an ongoing and collaborative process right through. Um, and, and we certainly didn't get all of the things that we had wanted at the time because it was just the three of us. Um, I was extremely glad to um, see uh, at, at what was basically at the, almost the last minute in a legislative sense, um, Mr Barton and Mr Hayes come on board and put themselves up and say, hey, well, look, you know, we believe that there has to be something to replace the state of emergency to, to have pandemic-specific legislation. They came around to that thought process and they were then able to lobby for a lot of the things that we couldn't get as three and they were quite successful in that and I can't thank them enough because it, it turned from what was initially I think a good bill from where we had input to being a better bill and then at the end of the day to being probably the closest we could possibly get to being perfect given the circumstances. But bear in mind as well that pandemics are a moving feast. 
Um, this legislation, once it expires, so once the pandemic is declared endemic and this legislation has been shelved because it's not permanent, um, it's much like a state of emergency. It is declared a pandemic when that that danger has passed, it's, you know, it's revoked and it sits in the background. So it may well be that you know, this legislation may also have to be amended to suit a future pandemic because they are changing, you know. Um, the zoonotic diseases have that effect and it may well be that we have to act swiftly and bring a change um, in, in terms of amendment to combat a future pandemic should it arise. I saw a few photos in the media of the Legislative Council and in particular you working alongside Samantha Ratnam and Fiona Patton, the three of you. What's the working relationship like between you and those crossbenchers? Oh, look, generally very good. Um, look, we, we, we do agree on, on a substantial amount of things, um, but that's not to say we agree on absolutely everything. We do come from different parties and different perspectives, but I think that's what gives it um, a good, you know, a good grounding because, you know, the, the one thing that we do have in common is that we, we try to look for the best solution, you know, the, the common good, where we don't let the perfect get in the way of the possible. And, and that's a, a philosophy that the three of us at least bring to the table, but also several of the other crossbenchers. You know, there are others that work to that same philosophy. It's, it's just that on pandemic legislation, um, others just didn't want to agree or couldn't agree for various reasons. And that's how we ended up in that scenario. And you mentioned about how fatiguing it can be. I mean, sitting there for 25 hours or whatever it was and even the intoxicating effects of being tired. And I know the TAC has likened that level of fatigue to being over 0.05 and making very important decisions. Are there ways we can do it better, handle the debates in the Legislative Council, do you think? And I suppose also, how do you survive sitting there for that amount of time and being awake that long? Well, let, let's deal with the second part of that question first. Um, I, I made sure, and I, I know that others were doing the same, um, and it's different for the major parties. They can, you know, they can take turns. So long as quorum in the chamber is maintained, they can uh, have numbers go out, they can sleep, they can do all the sorts of things that you would require. So, But for us on the crossbench, we're usually just one representative. Um, so in, in that essence, what I did, um, I made sure I drank plenty of water. I got up out of the chamber at regular intervals and, and went for a walk. I made sure I ate regularly. Um, and I, I made sure that, you know, I was not just fixated on what was there in front of me at the time, but when I was out having that walk around the precinct that, you know, I would think about other things, you know, or I'd make a phone call to, um, you know, to home to, to make sure everything was okay, you know, and, and then that, that sort of gave me that sort of a break to come back in the chamber and reconcentrate again on what I needed to do. And I know that others were doing the same. Um, but look, in terms of actually doing it, it, it better, um, this was the last sitting week for the year um, and should, if we had um, finished at a, a different time, uh, that would have meant that, um, you know, we would have gone into non-government business on Wednesday, had to re-prosecute it on Thursday when there were other important bills that the government wanted to bring forward. Um, you know, the, the religious exemptions um, one, for, example, for instance. Um, and, you know, what it would have meant, and, and we, what we saw, the only reason we sat for so long was that, um, you know, the, the opposition used um, a filibustering tactic um, on Clause 1 of the bill. Now, for, for those who aren't sure what, what that means, Clause 1 of any bill is just uh, uh, usually about eight or nine lines of, 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 as a descriptor. And it usually says language to the effect of this is a bill to enact this, 
and it um, affects and, and brings about amendments to this bill, this act, this act, this act, and this act. And that's all it does. That's all it says. It doesn't go into the detail of what is actually going to happen within the rest of the bill. But on clause one, they can basically re-prosecute. They can go through the second reading speeches basically again and keep going. And, and they went, uh, the, the opposition used every speaker they possibly could and spoke for nearly seven or eight hours just on clause one. Now, it was clause 12 of the bill where all of the, the things that were going to happen through the enactment of, of the bill were going to happen. And, and that was then taken up with the rest of it. But there was just this marathon session filibustering and it would not have taken the time that it took otherwise. Um, and that was exactly what their plan was. They expected the government to call it a, a day at a certain point and then move to Thursday, which meant they would have continued to keep doing that. Their plan was to filibuster out the bill so it never got to a vote, so it wouldn't be enacted. And that was what they wanted. So, But the government wasn't falling for that. I wasn't falling for it and neither was anybody else. And that's why it kept going and going and going. And now, broad, more broadly around the pandemic, what do you think about where we sit currently? I mean, people are out there enjoying themselves, and over the weekend, lots of reports of people in the city and you know, things mm. starting to come back to some normality. But that said, on the horizon, of course, Omnicrom is uh, up for discussion about whether there should be border closures, etc. And also, um, there's just questions about this uh, 5 to 11-year-old age range of vaccinations, and you know, will those children be locked out if the parents decide, no, we don't want them to get the vaccination? Mm. Um, so, um, I, I agree. Look, the city appears to be coming back to life in, in the CBD in Melbourne, but elsewhere as well. I mean, in the regions, we've seen a lot greater movement for a little while now. And that's wonderful to see. And, and in truth, that is what's going to happen um, with our high vaccination rates. And if, if in Victoria we follow the path as what happened in New South Wales, where when they opened up with a high vaccination rate, we saw an, a, a, for a period of time uh, an increase in greater numbers of infection rates, which is what we're seeing, but a gradual drop in that down to uh, you know, a point where it's, it's minimal in, in terms of your population base. Um, but it did also see um, uh, an increase in hospitalisations and an increase in deaths, unfortunately. So that's what I think we're experiencing now. I would expect that to to follow that same path. Um, the worry, again, obviously, again, is Omicron um, coming through. Um, it appears at this stage from the little we know uh, that it is, again, more highly infectious, but not necessarily as deadly, you know. Um, I'm not sure that we've had any deaths of that in Australia. I don't think we have. Um, I think we're only at an infection rate at the moment. I do note that South Australia is playing it very, very tight. They don't want to, um, you know, um, have a risk of anyone coming in. I think found it interesting, actually, that they've actually, you know, increased, um, you know, border restrictions with Victoria again when we actually don't have any any of that here yet. Now, we haven't had any diagnosis of, of Omicron here yet at all, but that, that's the reason they're using for changes in border restrictions to Victoria but and, and rightly New South Wales where there is an outbreak. Um, I just find that a bit curious. I, I think what we have learnt over the period of the pandemic is to um, be calm, look, look at the data, see which way things are heading and then make a decision based upon the trajectory. That's what the science would tell you to do. Um, a a knee-jerk reaction um, certainly doesn't result in a desired effect out in the community. Um, but, you know, we, we wait to see this there state, but I'm, I'm curious to see whether there'll be any criticisms um, in some of the press about 
you know, the South Australian reaction, you know, when they've, um, they seem to be uh, very politically aligned and, and criticise any of the Labor states when they make these moves or any moves, but um, the Liberal states are, uh, you know, all well and good when these things happen and they're doing the right thing. And uh, the year in review, an opportunity to reflect. What do you think you've achieved this year? And I suppose particularly given that you're the Animal Justice Party, in terms of animal rights, what's been improved this year, if anything? Oh, look, we've had, uh, and, and this is the extraordinary thing, you know, I, I think it shows the resilience of all Victorians and the resilience of all members of Parliament. You know, we've all battled on and we've managed to get a whole heap of things done. You know, we've, we've, we've still achieved in the budget this year, it was handed down in May, you know, we still achieved outstanding results for animals, millions of dollars in funding for farm sanctuaries, uh, for instance, for other animal sanctuaries, for wildlife reform. You know, we, we saw the bringing about of um, you know, the, the creation of, of Wildlife Rescue Victoria, um, which was what I put up in my private members bill a couple of years ago. That actually came about. We saw the, you know, the, the standing up of um, four um, actual emergency controllers in the incident control room for fire emergencies, specifically for animals. You know, they don't all be all four on at the same time. It's a, a revolving thing, so, so no one gets, you know, fatigued. Um, so, so there's that, um, you know, and, and we're looking forward to a number of other things. You know, we've seen what looks like may occur in, um, you know, horse-drawn vehicles being removed from the CBD after, you know, many, many years of lobbying and the Melbourne City Council wanting to do it themselves. Um, you know, but, but also um, I've I managed to keep myself extremely busy on committee work on the three committees that I've been on. Um, I'm about to, um, you know, I was also the chair of the task force on rehoming pets. Um, I've completed the final report and the forward, which will now be forwarded to the minister, who will look at the recommendations, which will we're looking forward to seeing, um, you know, fundamental reform in, in the, um, you know, the, the pound and shelter system in that sector. Um, but also the task force on safe spaces for LGBTIQA plus people use um, that I've chaired. Um, that report is now finished and I'm looking forward to handing that to the Minister um, and seeing some genuine reform and some creation of safe spaces around Geelong for, for the youth. Um, and uh, but, you know, also, um, as I say, that uh, the, the largest um, inquiry in the Victorian parliamentary history, which is the Environment and Planning Committee, um, you know, the inquiry into ecosystem decline in Victoria. Um, you know, I managed to get a whole host of recommendations in that report on different areas, but, you know, one of the ones I'm particularly proud of, or two of them, you know, which are, are somewhat controversial, I suppose, um, are that um, there's a recommendation in there which I put forward, which the committee agreed to, which recommends a phase-out of 1080 poison in Victoria beginning in July of next year in Victoria's national parks, and then extending through to a total phase out in Victoria by December 2023. But it also recommends that the government invest in heavily in looking at alternative methods. Um, and, and I look forward to seeing that coming through in the state budget if the recommendation is accepted, but also to, um, to confirm uh, a recommendation to uh, have a trial, at least one trial of reintroducing the dingo into back into the national parks because they... Uh, the moderator of the environment, they take care of um, introduced species such as cats, goats, uh, pigs, etc. They they take care of these animals, and they uh, this is what they're there for. You know, they they moderate the environment, and, and yes, they do prey on other native animals, but they they keep population levels at where they should be. So I'm looking forward to seeing 
is that can be implemented and, and the results that that might entail. So there's, there's been a fair bit going on. Um, there's a lot more than that, but, you know, I don't want to bore everybody. <laughs> um, just on the, the horse-drawn carriages in the CBD, I did hear on another media outlet there was a suggestion that maybe this was coming up because you'd supported the government's legislation. Is that how it works? Do they say you support our bill and we'll uh, get rid of horse-drawn carriages or was this on the cards for a long time? Oh, look, absolutely not. Look, and anyone who has worked with the state government knows that they don't do, and I don't have never supported, um, pardon the pun, a, a horse trading exercise. Um, it's just not how it works. I mean, uh, my philosophy has always been collaborative politics and relationship building, um, and, and, and that's how things work. You know? um, that's how you get things done, and we present the arguments um, based upon what we believe is the right thing to do, and, and sometimes we can convince government that that's the way to go, and other times we can't. Um, you know, there's a whole host of things that we won't ever get done, um, and, and, and look, that's just how it works. Um, and you know, others are less successful at it than we are, um, but it has nothing to do with how whether I support the government or I don't on, on, on any bill. Well, thanks for being on the program. It's been really good to catch up with you this year, not just this year, but right throughout the journey. You've been on the program long before you were an MP. We really appreciate it and look forward to catching up again next year. Uh, a pleasure, mate. And look, please stay safe. Have a great Christmas. And the same to everyone out there listening. Please stay safe over Christmas. Have fun, catch up with relatives. But above all, you know, stay safe, especially on the roads. Thank you very much, Animal Justice Party MP Andy Medic with us there. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you get your podcasts.